Hi there, I'm Zach Braff. And I'm Donald Faison. We're real-life best friends, but we met playing fake-life best friends, Turk and JD, on the sitcom Scrubs. 20 years later, we've decided to re-watch the series one episode at a time and put our memories into a podcast you can listen to at home. We're going to get all our special guest friends like Sarah Chalk, John C. McGinley, Neil Flynn, Judy Reyes. Show creator Bill Lawrence, editors, writers, and even prop masters will tell us about what inspired the series and how we became a family. You can listen to the podcast Fake Doctors, Real Friends with Zach and Donald on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. What's up? Hi, how are you doing today? This fine afternoon or evening or morning or whenever you're listening to it. You know, I would like to know what time you like to listen to the show because uh, I tend to post these like, you know, like whatever, morning-ish on Wednesdays. And, uh, you know, sometimes maybe people are like, yo, why don't you post it on Wednesday night? So, you know, email the show, 100wordspodcast at gmail.com. And you'll be speaking to me, Ray Harkins. No one else answers those emails. That is just me. And we are here talking independent music, hanging out with people who've been affected by it in a major way. As I look at my thousands and thousands of records up on my wall here in my office, because uh, it's just... You know, music is such an interesting thing where, uh, you know, when you make friends with uh, civilians and people who haven't been like all consumed by, you know, the independent weirdness that we have, it's uh, it, it, it kind of just blows my mind sometimes. Like I, I was uh, I was talking with a friend recently who is, is a friend I made through the church that I attend. And uh, he uh, is a big fan of like Five Finger Death Punch, which, you know, I, I know the band and I'm not, I'm not, you know, throwing, throwing stones at them. They are a hardworking band. They have uh, risen to levels of success, success that I can, uh, you know, I, I never have achieved myself. But more on that in a minute. You came to listen to my guest, right? And my guest this week is Leander Gloversmith. He is a great friend of mine, manages bands. I met him when he was managing Architects when I was working at Century Media Records, and him and I formed a very, very fast connection just because uh, him and I had a lot of music, same similar musical sensibilities. And uh, we've only grown closer over time, and he's just a, a great human being. Now he manages bands like Neck Deep, as it is, under the uh, KMGMT, King Man- or I can't remember exactly what the, K- Kaminsky Management, yeah, that's what it is. So uh, yeah, but he is very successful at that, and it's awesome to see that. So he was over, in the States and, uh, we were going to hang out and I was like, you know what? Let's podcast. Let's, let's do this. I wanted to have him on for quite some time because managers are an interesting breed. Each one has their kind of individual approach to how they deal with bands. You know, sometimes they um, remain kind of, you know, a business professional and like not really creating, they create a relationship, but like a working relationship as opposed to Leander, who, you know, is very, very involved with the band's decisions from branding and everything else all the way down to, um, yeah, just like, you know, being a a personal advice giver (laughs) to the band members of the bands that he manages. So it's real interesting. And we get into that plus a bunch of other stuff. And you need band merch, right? Uh, we all need band merch. I wear band shirts basically every single day of my life. And Rockabilia will be the outfitter of your choice. They have half a million items over there. They got short sleeves, long sleeves, sweaters, scarves. 
Well, they may have scarves. I actually haven't looked to see if they have scarves, but they most likely do. They got posters. They got everything you possibly need. And I want to give you 15% off by using the code PCJabberJaw. If you've been hearing this and you haven't ordered yet, what is holding you up? They have great customer service, super fast shipping, and it's co-owned by a hardcore punk kid. It's just, I cannot feel more uh, connectivity to this company. They are great at what they do, and they will have you outfitted in great band merch immediately, okay? Like, you've probably seen their stuff other places, but trust me, Rockabilly is the real, real deal. So order them. Order from them. PC Jabberjaw will give you 15% off. So, like I was saying, dealing with with, uh, normal people in regards to music. So, a friend of mine likes Five Finger Death Punch and... Um, you know, I was like, how do you listen to, you know, music? Do you like listen to the radio or what, what? And so he was like, uh, or, or no, I asked him actually, I said, do you, you know, use a streaming service? And he was like, no, I just, uh, you know, kind of pop on YouTube or just listen to the radio. And anytime I get that, that interaction with somebody, I'm always reminded at the stark contrast that people like us have with music and then people that like music that is kind of, you know, sort of given to them, not in a bad way. They just interact with music in a much different way than we do the obsessive nature that we have. And so anyway, he, I was, I, I threw him, I actually sent him yesterday, a, uh, the Menzingers record that came out last year, um, after the party. And it like, I was like, okay, let's, let's test the waters. Cause I don't want to give him something like, you know, too aggressive. That'll be like, Whoa, Ray, like I'm, I'm not really ready for this. So um, he was like, what did he say? He said that it was, it, it sounded like it would be a soundtrack. Granted, I just sent him one song, so he didn't listen to the whole record. Um, and I sent him the after the party song, which is an incredible song. But he said, I'm reminded of like a, this could be in a soundtrack for a millennial movie. And I was like, Oh, interesting. I obviously view the Menzingers in a very different light than you do devoid of context. He's just listening to the music. And so then I started to dig. I was like, are you looking for something like aggressive? What, what have you been listening to a lot recently? And then he was like, Alter Bridge, Shine Down, Five Finger Death Punch. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. Like the way that people consume music is, um, you know, from the, the, the civilian standpoint is, uh, you know, they try to find bands uh, that are, you know, of the same genre that are, you know, very slightly removed in the same way that we do. I'll be clear. Like, you know, if you put a metalcore band in front of me, I'll listen to that nine times out of 10 and be stoked on it. So, but yeah, it's just interesting. So I, I don't know. I would love to hear your personal experience uh, about, you know, dealing. And when I say dealing, I make it sound like it's like some burden. But uh, when you're interacting with people who uh, have a different relationship with music, and you know, if you're trying to like, you know, kind of guide them along in a way, uh, I, how do you do that? You know, and so I'm actually trying to wrap my head around like, do I do I send my friend like quicksand? Will he will he be into quicksand? Or like, I don't I don't know, like you, because last thing you want to do is send a person off, you know, in the wrong direction, where you're like, Oh, I, I recommend this band. They're like, Oh man, that band sucks. Like what is, what is Ray trying to give me? Like all the bands that he's probably into are terrible. (laughs) So anyways, there's, there's a little, uh, snapshot of some of my obsessive thoughts when it comes to music. (laughs) And I'm sure some of you have, uh, that similar relationship as well. But anyways, like I said, Leander, great friend, great chat. We uh, did it up in his hotel room in Los Angeles and, uh, yeah, this is uh, what transpired. So I will talk to you after the episode is of course over to tell you who is up next week. Okay. Bye. I think 
it was, uh, I mean, obviously it was when I was at Century Media. You were working with right. architects. Yep. Um, and I, I remember obviously going over to the UK to hang out with you guys. But I remember, like, even before we had, like, officially met in person, I felt like we really, like, we just hit it off right mm-hmm. away. Like, it was like, oh, like, you know what's up. And, like, mm-hmm. I know what's up. And mm-hmm. it just felt, it felt very seamless. Yeah, for sure. Like, but you, you remember, like, before we actually met, we were already, like, pretty 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 bro task yeah, yeah yeah we were i think the first time we actually met was in germany that's right yeah it, architects was on tour with bring me the horizon you're right and um you you and i want to say jens that's right okay that's right yeah because um, we were over there for some conference or whatever yeah maybe that, steve joe yeah 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 that's right i'm over and we, you came to the architect show. I can't remember what German town it was. Yeah, I can't remember either. But we met there. That's right. But we'd already like I don't know. But yeah, we just hit it off. Yeah. And it was at that show that I realized that you were in Taken. Right. That's. And I was previously already a Taken fanboy. <laughs> that's it, it worked out perfectly. Yeah. But I, I, it was, and I'm sure you've encountered this so many times throughout working in the industry, where it's just like there are certain people where it's just like you immediately step into like they're an old pair of shoes, where you're mm-hmm. just like. I feel like I've known you, but we just mm-hmm. met. Mm-hmm. How does how does that happen? I don't know. I feel like <laughs> I feel like maybe there's a, a sort of commonality uh, when people come up through certain sectors of culture, mm-hmm. and uh, I tend to find like there's a little like a little checklist. Like, oh, if if a guy uh, if someone likes sort of quicksand and handsome right. and glass jaw and also like you know uh you know some of the the heavier stuff and yeah then there's probably going to be like a cultural uh similarity right i think and i think you kind of naturally find an affinity with each other yeah you um, definitely do yeah especially when you find yeah it, like you have those bands and then like if you go one level deeper then you're just be like oh you know that band too and then you go like right. three levels deeper and then you're just like oh my gosh we're meant to be yeah for me it's always like if someone has heard of handsome i'm like oh sick <laughs> We'll probably be friends. And it, it, Someone it, who goes, yeah, ha- the handsome record doesn't go handsome, right? Handsome, yeah, yeah right. You know. <laughs> and I, I remember accidentally seeing handsome. They played with it was like Strife, Voodoo Glow Skulls, or no, not Voodoo Glow Skulls. It was this huge show. Like the handsome had no business playing, but like that, you know, it was night. It was Descendants. Descendants, mm-hmm. Strife, Handsome, and then someone else. Mm-hmm. And it was just like, I mean, they were incredible. I only sort of heard quicksand like i was like i like quicksand but i was just like oh handsome and then I was, oh yeah i was yeah. into handsome before i was into quicksand it was oh, actually yeah it was oh perfect. reversal yeah. yeah so i was writing a zine and handsome did that record through sony yeah and i was on the i was on like a sony mailing list um getting stuff for like corn i'd done like an interview with corn for a zine and sure. in the 90s this was midnight mid 90s like 95 i guess uh-huh. and as part of the the mail out uh, from, from the label, I got sent this handsome record, and right. I had no idea who they were. And it was like cool, put it on, loved it, and it was actually sort of reverse, going backwards. You're like, how did where did these guys? Yeah, come from? so going backwards through handsome was how I found helmet and and quicksand. Right, that's amazing. Yeah, and uh, but <laughs> I had it handsome only toured in the UK once ever, uh-huh. and I didn't go. Sure, <laughs> I had a ticket, but I got a chest infection. I didn't go. Oh, and I was like, oh, I'll catch him next time. Right, yeah, there's. <laughs> I'll catch him. Nope, that's not happening. Not happening. Yeah, I have no. It's one I- of my regrets. I have no idea what the singer of that band is doing. 
Absolutely no idea. No idea. There's certain people. He was in what was the band he was in? Ice. Ice. No. It was Ice Ice Age, I want to say, something like that. Yeah, I can't. I. It's it, some weird. It's weird how certain people just like completely fall off like your radar. We were just like, oh yeah, I'm sure they did something else, but like you just did not hear about oh, it. Oh, do you know what? When Helmet first reformed. When, no, when Helmet was touring Size Matters. Okay. He was playing bass for them. Really? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Okay, I saw them with this with the singer of Handsome playing bass. Dude, that's <laughs> talk, <laughs> talk about a super group. Like yeah. you're just like, but you were you're an amazing singer. <laughs> yeah. You play bass. He was an amazing singer. It's yeah. so weird that yeah, that's yeah, yeah something didn't did happen with him. But it, I think you you really hit on the appropriate descriptor of how people like that do have those like those those check marks, where especially, mm-hmm. and I think too, where it's like if you've contributed a lot to music in the way of either, you know, playing in bands or doing zines mm-hmm. or whatever. Like there's that immediate, like, Oh, like you don't care about money. So right. like we already, yeah. When you're like a creative and you're sort of woven into the fabric of it and you're sort of partaking, in right. it, I think there's a, a, a kinship that yes. comes through people that, that collaborate in music in some capacity, whether it's, you know, you're a, you're a, you tour with bands or, you're, right. or you're doing a zine or you're, you're doing artwork or whatever. Right. Um, and I think that's cool. And like, I was never particularly connected to, I mean, the UK doesn't really have a, a hardcore scene mm-hmm. history in the sense like America does. Absolutely. Like, there's nothing like the DC scene or the New York scene. No, no, no. Orange County scenes that, that we don't have that. I right. I mean, we have a, an okay hardcore scene now. Yes. But it's, a, it's nothing like how the, the, the history is nothing like what, what you guys had. Totally. So I was never sort of affiliated to a, a community like that. Right, but um, sort of the, I found that through certain kinship with certain artists, and then yeah, like you say, interactivity, yeah, with the community, right. Um, I wouldn't call myself like a, you know, people come from the hardcore community, right. I mean, I'm sure you kind of kind of came up through that through Taken, but absolutely, yeah. But like um, for for me and the kind of people that I was connecting with, it was always the people that were going that step further, not just buying the Iron Maiden CD right. and going, oh, that's cool. Right, yeah. I'll listen to this. <laughs> totally. It was always the people that were going that little bit further in. Yeah, the d- digging deeper. Yeah. But, I mean, too, this is something I was going to bring up later where it is interesting, like, you know, the the UK has always been such a a uh, interesting music scene because yeah. it's like, you know, I mean... Th- it seems like a, a, a fever takes over the country mm-hmm. in regards to a certain style of music where mm-hmm. it's just like, you know, there are certain bands that... Uh, you know, like completely break over there. Machine and, Head. Right. And, like, and then no one, or, I mean, Machine Head's a bad, I mean, a bad example for the thing I was going to say, but like that, like they never break in the States, yeah. but they're like massive in the UK. Right. And then like, and then there's certain genres of music that just completely, like, you know, new metal, like completely overtook the UK. Oh my God. I mean, not like it didn't do it in the States, but oh, like. It was crazy in the UK. Right. It was a, uh, it was actually, the new metal was the first time I stopped feeling like, I liked a counterculture. Sure. Um, up until that happened, I was, you know, I was that one of, if I look at like my high school photo, mm-hmm. I'm like there's me and there's the two other metal dudes. Right, right. You know? <laughs> it, totally. Like it was not a thing. Right. Um, we were the only guys with long hair that liked Pantera, Metallica, or whatever. It was just not, it was a weirdo culture still. Sure. To like Nirvana. It, sure. I came up through in the sort of b- wake of the Nevermind, the Black Album, when that stuff was like mainstreaming, but the cultures that were kind of 
the subcultures underneath it. Right. So the Seattle grunge scene and whatever those were still, those were the countercultural scenes. Sure. Um, and then uh, new metal happened. When I first discovered Corn, it was through an MTV Headbangers Ball thing, and they seemed like a cool weirdo yeah. art band. Absolutely. And I was like, this band is dope. Right. And then within two years, it was this really weird jock bro mainstream event. Right. Every, like all these guys at, uh, at my college were wearing like corn hoodies and, and white zombie hoodies, Limp Bizkit shirts and stuff. And it was like, what's happening? Right. Yeah. You're, you're like, I felt like this was mine for a minute, yeah. but like now it's not even remotely yeah, close to being. it was really weird. And then, and then corn obviously went weird. And, right, right. And yeah, by, by, by the time Linkin Park came out, I was out. Sure. I checked out. Right. And, uh, and discovered more. I discovered Glassjaw, which kind of opened. Yeah. A whole they new... were my entry band into like hardcore, I guess. Sure. Actually. Sure. Them and Sick of It All. Right. They kind of opened the door. It was Scratch the Surface and, uh, and actually VOD. Of course. Uh, Scratch the Surface and the VOD record and then Glassjaw. And they kind of were my you entry level bands into discovering this other world. Right. Yeah, yeah. You're like, and oh, there's weird art over under yeah, this rock, too. it feels much more serious. And mm-hmm. suddenly I was looking back at, at the new metal bands, the early new metal bands that I'd liked, like Korn and like even early Limp Bizkit, mm-hmm. early Incubus and stuff. And it all just sure. seemed like really goofy to me. Right. Yeah. All of a sudden I was like, this is like cartoon music. <laughs> it's like yeah. kid stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like kid, kids music. And I was at 19... And I never, tr- I don't think I ever became like a elitist snob or anything, but I was, I started getting very like, let's put new metal in the closet. Of course. We? Well, you get, yeah. <laughs> as, a, as a kid, you definitely, I mean, cause it's still at 19, you're a kid, like you swing so violently towards these things where you're just like, oh no, like. I, Go I, away. Right. Like I'm, I'm not that into that anymore. <laughs> yeah. And then, but then, you know, whatever. But I was really into it. I had the, I had the hair, the little, the, like the Brian Head Welch. Oh, beautiful. The grid. Sure. Top knot hair. <laughs> yeah, of course. I had that. Yeah, that's amazing. I was going to college with that hair. Sure. You were, you, you were. I was like, I look cool. Right. I didn't look cool. You're like, I'm edgy. Yeah, I, I looked awful. <laughs> <laughs> well, re- reflecting on you and as a, as a, as a person. Yeah. So you were, you were obviously, you were, you were born and raised in England. Yeah. Yeah. Born and raised in Brighton. So my, uh, uh, my mom, my mother is German. Okay. Um, very German, uh, has never really fully acclimatized. <laughs> To been, being been there for many years and just oh yeah has lived in england since 73 or so okay and uh no chance of her being english at all okay like she's just still fully in her german ways sure and uh and uh I, yeah grew up sort of in between uh germany and and england okay but kind of identified myself as english i sure. guess when i was about 13 or so I okay think that's kind of where i was like yeah i feel like th- this is where i'm, I'm i feel like this is this, is, this home. is where i live right you know? right before that I, I had much more of a floaty uh sure kind of sense of of home i think it was right like, oh sometimes we're in england sometimes we're in germany got it and it was like in in those early teen years and it, it kind of came with the discovery of music and mm-hmm. a music based friendship group though i was like yeah but yeah born and raised ultimately sure it's the long and short of it and you were uh you were an only child or you have only child that's what i thought um my i have a my dad um raised he adopted a a a boy called troy okay um in the 60s okay and he raised him 
with his previous wife. Got it. Um, so technically uh, kind of half-ish brother, even half-ish though... Half-ish brother, but I didn't meet him until I was like 11. Okay, got um, it. So, um, but he was like a, a proper punk. He was like... Oh, okay. He was into like Discharge, Nurse with Wound. Oh, sure. Like, really yeah. out there. <laughs> totally. You know, Minus Threat's like a pop band to him. Like He was like, oh, yeah, that DC Hardcore stuff, whatever. Yeah, it's cute. Yeah, it's cute. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. Too, too poppy for me. I don't know yeah. why he's singing. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing, yeah. to ha- especially to have that, like, I mean, you, you, no matter what, as a kid, you're always looking up to older people, and, yeah. like, their opinions are weighty. Yeah. And then when that gets expressed, it's kind of like, oh, oh, okay. Yeah, and he played me, like, Napalm Death, uh, <laughs> You Suffer, that kind of stuff, like, yeah. for the first time. Like, when I was first getting into metal, and I, you know, I liked Metallica <clears throat> and Pantera, and he was right. like, have you heard this? Yeah, you're um, like I'm not ready for that. I'm not. I, I wasn't ready for that. Yeah, it was a. It was a few years before I got into like the, the much more extreme. Stuff. Sure. Yeah. You're like I, I. I gotta. I gotta ease up into yeah. that. I'm still listening to the stuff that you know, like essentially has verses and choruses. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, I, only child uh, raised an only child. Yeah. Sure. Um, and I mean, most people, especially in America, have this very sort of you know pastoral view like of England in general, mm-hmm. where it's like, oh yeah, like there's London and there's a large city, and like you know, of course, yeah, there's like Manchester and. But like, you know, you essentially live out on a farm with like a bunch of green hills and like that. I mean, that that's kind of like I, I'm just sort of exaggerating oh, yeah. the American no, I thought. Actually, that is how I live. OK, there so, you go. Uh, the house that the, the house I grew up in, yep. which is now the house I live in. Again. You live in again. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So the house I grew up in is literally uh, it's in a little village and there's the seafront. There's like the seaside, uh-huh. which is very quaint. Sure. Uh little british seaside town Mm -hmm. and uh they they just have fish and chips and some pubs (laughs) yeah uh and then i live on this road that that is a dead end it ends in farm fields Mm -hmm. i'm surrounded by farmland and we're like the the road that leads to the farmland okay so So you're like the last stop and last stop in town so to speak yeah so there's like grazing cattle opposite my house sure um, and hay bales and farms and it's the whole experience beekeepers and whatever it's it is quite pastoral yeah it's yeah uh, it's a, a long way from sort of city living right I, and because i grew up there like london always seemed really too intense sure the hustle and bustle yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. that's i mean it, i do i mean i think anybody that that doesn't experience that and then like doesn't you know if you only have one experience or the other you're not really like you know seeing mm-hmm. both sides of i mean i know that sounds obvious but just like Oh yeah, like there, this is a nice way to live. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you want to live in a city, you can do that mm-hmm. too. But like, if you have one or the other, it's like you know you're you're missing out. On yeah, a whole. I had Brighton on my doorstep, and and Brighton always seemed like the more interesting town, sure, than London to me. Right. Um, it wasn't as intense, and you could kind of get around it easier. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, I, and uh, and there is a kind of uh, there's a bit of a Brightonian sort of persona. Sure. And that's, yeah, the architects guys will kind of have that. And Absolutely. Yeah, yeah and, and there, was, there was definitely a sort of a Brighton cultural, Brighton alternative person. Sure. Uh, that was different to the, the sort of harder-edged, sure. like, London persona. Totally. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, it was especially when you have, like, you know, the dueling communities mm-hmm. of, like, these, especially as arts are coming out, where it's just like, yeah, that's the big city stuff. Like we yeah. got the we get the real cool stuff here. Yeah, I, I feel like uh, Brighton gets compared 
favorably to places like San Francisco and oh, sure. Portland, and and it's right. that kind of counterculture. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was it was a vegan capital before right. veganism was like <laughs> a thing. A yeah. thing. You know, uh, it's it's an artsy town. Right, right. Um, and it's kind of woven into its history. It was it was the I, 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 probably the queen that we still have now. Sure, but like <laughs> it was her favorite when she was younger, or maybe her mother. Okay, I think maybe it was her, actually the queen mother. Um, it was her favorite holiday resort. Oh, okay. And so her like traveling entertainers mm-hmm. all went there okay. to like please her. Sure. Uh, and so Brighton has this kind of history. Right. Of artisan. Sure, sure. So all like it's baked into the country. Yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. Uh, generations of painters, jesters, actors, writers, entertainers because they were all there as the queen's court. Sure. And then it's just kind of woven it just perpetuated into the from of there. The town, yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. Um, and so then, uh, you know, as you started to, uh, you know, grow older and because you're an only child, you don't have the luxury of the, you know, older, older brother or sister or whatever. And like, you're kind of getting into, you know, independent stuff. Um, yeah, I presume kind of via your classmates or just kind of like you said, like, I mean, yeah, 120 it, minutes, like yeah, that was, yeah, it was a guy called or MTV uh, headbangers. Ball yeah, it was, it was headbangers ball and yeah, 120 minutes. And, um, my introduction fully to it was, uh, so Nirvana, Mm-hmm. Uh, we're on uh, Smells Like Teen Spirit was a, a number one, I think, or a top ten hit at least. Absolutely in the UK, and um, and I used to watch Top of the Pops. I, I had a div- I was really into music already as a kid. Okay, my my mother is a hip was it it was a hippie. Sure, and um, German and, hippie. You don't hear those. Yeah. W- you don't hear those words usually. Well, she together. was like a one of the sixty eight like student revolution people. Got it. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, so. Um, and my dad was a jazz aficionado, so we I grew up in a real musical, musical household. That's cool. So I was, uh, and I, I kind of was listening to the albums like the Joshua Tree and, and and Born to Run and the Tracy Chapman record, like when I was a kid. And I got super into Michael Jackson when I was a kid and Madonna. Sure. And uh, the so pump, was, the pump was primed. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and yeah. So I was already like watching Top of the Pops and having some kind of musical interest. And I remember Nirvana being on it, and it just seemed really strange because it's it's actually on one of their. DVDs mm-hmm. uh, is footage of them doing Top of the Pops. Oh, so on Top okay. of the Pops, it was miming. It was pre-recorded. Oh, sure. And they had to then mime right. to the song, but live. Sure. So in front of an audience, these bands had to mime. Most bands went along with it. Mm-hmm. Nirvana like, didn't go along with it at all. <laughs> if you dig out that footage, you just see Dave Grohl waving his drumsticks over his head <laughs> through the entire performance. And Kurt Cobain has the, the mic entirely in his mouth. Okay. And is playing... Like this sure. with his flat hand, like <laughs> that's amazing. And I was like, "Who? What is yeah, this? what is happening?" And that song kind of got me, right? And then this kid from my class was like, "If you like this, you'll probably like this," and played me Iron Maiden, sure, um, uh, Fear of the Dark, and I got into that <laughs> real quick, and then very quickly was like. I need more. There's got to be more, more <laughs> yeah. of this. Yeah, and I yeah. just started digging really, really quickly. And sure. within within a month of kind of finding <laughs> Nirvana and Iron Maiden, I'd found Metallica, Megadeth, Sepultura, sure. Pantera. In a world where everyone is confined to their homes, society begins its largest bin watch to date. In the hallowed library of Hulu or perhaps on a shelf of DVDs you haven't looked at in a decade... 
is a show that perfectly encapsulates life in the early aughts and launched a friendship that would inspire millions. Hi, I'm Zach Braff. And I'm Donald Faison. In 2001, we starred in Scrubs, a sitcom that revealed a glimpse of what it was like to survive a medical internship. As Turk and JD, we explored guy love. Nearly 20 years later, a lot has changed. We're not supermen, but we're still best friends. Eh. Given the mandatory lockdown, there's no better time to relive the series that brought us together in the first place. And we're doing it with a podcast. That's right, people. We're going to bring friends and crew members and fellow cast members and writers. And and guess what? We're going to even invite some of you to call into the podcast and ask all the questions you want of the entire Sacred Heart staff. Join us for Fake Doctors Real Friends on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and, and it, then, was, it was all those bands all on prime albums. So sure, like yeah, the world was Black open. Black Album, Vulgar, right. um, uh, Arise, Chaos AD. Um, so no. it was just like the best time to be getting into that. Stuff. Totally, yeah, yeah. You're hitting all these bands at like their, yeah. their upswing or their apex. Right, and then the, disco- the new bands coming through were Biohazard on Urban Discipline, right. Doggy Dog or Borrow Kings. Sure. And, uh, it, and like Machine Head, Burn mm-hmm. My Eyes. Uh, and it just seemed like a Slayer were doing a divine intervention. It just seemed like a really exciting time. Right, me. Treasure Trove. Yeah, it was like, oh, my God. Yeah, this is <laughs> yeah, and, it, it would, and I was just in. Right, and it's that like was it. It's like drinking from a fire hose. Yeah, I, I was just completely. I, I was ir, like irreversibly in. Right, I just I kind of changed the way I dressed and sure, you know, just completely adopted it and yeah. that was it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the um, that was age thirteen. That was age thirteen. Yeah. And it did as you were doing that. How did your? I mean, you know, clearly you said that you, your parents were musical and uh, you know your mom being a hippie like. How did they react to all of a sudden you bringing home all this, you know, weirdo art stuff mm-hmm. like that they most likely had very little musical understanding mm-hmm. of? And then you started to, you know. Yeah, they did. They, my mum was, uh, you know, she got rock. Right. She was into U2 and Springsteen and stuff like this, Rolling Stones. But like, obviously, the stuff I was getting into was way out there. Yeah. Um, but I remember one family holiday that she still talks about now where <laughs> I didn't want to listen to like her music in the car mm-hmm. so i made this tape oh uh, and it was it was said metal for mum on it how kind of you written in the metallica logo <laughs> of course and it was like all the soft songs like the unforgiven sure nothing else matters stuff that my mom will be into right right F- fate of black like all the stuff with like <laughs> the nice sort of classical guitar in it right cemetery gates whatever sure uh, and she sort of tolerated that and was like, oh, yeah, sort of appreciated musical aspects of it. Right, right. But then, like, very quickly, I started getting into stuff like Fear Factory and, you know, <laughs> yeah. stuff that's like, not really like. I can't. Yeah. Yeah, there's no other. This is a bridge too far. Yeah, and it was. It just. And then I, I, uh, I sort of opened a, a death metal box and. Sure. And, and got into death in a big way, the band death. And, yes. Uh, and obituary. And, right, and yeah. Stuff it's like not that. like you're going to show. And you. I just, like, went down a dark tunnel with it. <laughs> I love I I do think that there is uh, like I because I had that same experience with uh, at least my mother where I was like even you know more so with like the indie rock emo stuff where Mm -hmm. it's like I was making her tapes like oh like you know here here's like what mineral sounds like Mm -hmm. and it was like 
that's insane to try to make your parents understand your Beautiful. music from that right. perspective. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's like, oh, here's Elliot False Cathedral. She'll probably be into this. And it's like, no, it doesn't like it kind of sounds like the bands that they know. But like in devoid of context, yeah. they're just like, I don't yeah. know what the hell this is. Yeah. And it's like, even though. Yeah, I mean, to my ears, I feel like Elliot should have been. Oh, Coldplay. To- right? Ex- that's exactly I correct. Don't, I don't understand why <laughs> totally. Elliot aren't Coldplay. Right. This is- but then. Obviously, they aren't. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, totally. It's like, you, but then you try. You're you as you know, using your kid logic. You're like, all right, what is what is the stuff that's going to help my parents understand what I'm into? And then yeah. I will try to achieve that in some capacity. Yeah. No, they didn't get it, and uh, <laughs> and the cultural separation was very 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 quick after that. Like, right. I was the the moody metal team. Sure, you know. sure. And were did you uh you know you've always struck me for as long as I've known you like you know you're you're personable. Um you're not the stereotypical. I mean I, I say stereotypical cuz I'm a child as well, but like you know people will label us weird and uh, mm-hmm. I mean we are weird, but mm-hmm. like we can't communicate with people, can't look them in the eye. Like mm-hmm. but you you never struck me as that sort of person. No, I uh, I'm terrible at small talk. Okay. Still now. Sure. Um so I'm bad at talking to taxi drivers <laughs> and hairdressers. <laughs> I can't do the gen I'm not very good at the general conversation thing. Got it. Um the transactional relationship right. conversation. Right. Yeah. yeah. But like anyone who I feel like I share some kind of uh cultural fabric with mm-hmm. like even if it's um film tv mm-hmm. i've always had a really avid interest in those as well they kind of developed alongside my musical taste as they do for a lot of people you know sure. get into a certain t- kind of show and certain kind of film and stuff and they're mm-hmm. always fine they're kind of connected and um <clears throat> i've always found that at the minute i can even find a semblance of like oh you watch the sopranos okay cool right you know it doesn't matter if you're if you're into uh Tiesto and mumble rap. Like yes. we can find this one thing to like connect on. <laughs> totally, right, totally. You know? Yeah, that's good. So, that's yeah. going to be our break. But yeah, I've right. never been like the the sort of you know uh, the sort of cliched like super wallflower. Yeah, right. Or, or yeah. Word in the corner. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> not not communicating with anybody. Yeah, yeah. And did you? Uh, I was in bands really early and stuff. I was going to say. So like, yeah. the, did you? As you started to like really dive into the culture, did you immediately want to like play in bands or almost was, immediately? Yeah. Okay. Uh, within. I was in my first band at 14, so I'd gotten into, like, metal in a big way when I was 13, and a year later I was, like, for, starting to form my Playing band. guitar, I, I presume? Guitar. Yeah, okay, got guitar, it. Guitar, bit of vocal, um, and, yeah, it was good. But guitar at first. Okay. Um, and then was playing in at awful bands, just legacy of absolute rubbish, actually. For, sure. For a long As time. one does. Yeah, um, just shit band after shit band. Right. Um, but... Yeah, I was in in pretty quick. Sure. Yeah. Did you um, did you actually ever release any? Like, did you put out records and Later stuff like life? Yeah. Later. So, uh, yeah. So the band I was in, uh, I was in like a bunch of really awful high school bands. Sure. And then uh, then I at, at like sixth form college, mm-hmm. uh, I got I, I formed uh, like a ostensibly a new metal band, really. Okay. Um, but we were sort of taking influence from like. Far beyond driven, but also corn. Sure. And so it was like that kind of early new metal. So it wasn't like the goofy stuff, but sure. Uh, yeah, and a new metal band basically, and um, and then that band morphed into a more into the kind of sound du jour of the early two thousands UK. So okay. Bands like Funeral for, for a Friend, of course, Hundred Reasons, Hell is sure. for Heroes, 
the band that nobody whose whose name nobody really wants to say anymore. Yes. Um, <laughs> like <laughs> yes, that scene. Uh, I, I our band, our new metal band kind of evolved into one of those. Got it. And so that band was called Honeymoon Girls, and that was like my serious band. Got it. And like put out records, right? And we did around. We had a deal. We toured. Sure. Um, we played CBGBs actually for CMJ. Really? Yeah. It's like wow. the one cool thing we did. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Well, yeah, you always have those things where it's just yeah. like, oh, wow, I guess we did that thing. Like, yeah. yeah. We also played the London Astoria, which is like my favorite venue that uh-huh. ever existed in London. It's demolished now. Yes. I miss it dearly, but we played there. Sadly, it was supporting Alter Bridge. Uh, so not so cool. <laughs> right. But, it but was, still, you got to but play we there. to play on the stage. So I'm, yeah. I'm good with that. So that and CBGBs are like our two crowning things. But we released like two EPs, okay. and an album that was awful. And another album that was better, but it was too late because we'd put out an awful record. Sure, and people had and just on. kind of dwelled in obscurity. Got it. But we came up with um, with Funeral for a Friend mm-hmm. and uh, a band called Johnny Shruen. Yep. Um, and that was kind of our your scene. Our scene. That's cool. Um, yeah, and th- th- those were the bands that were kind of gigging together. Right. And then a lot of those people from those bands are now people who are colleagues of mine. Right, exactly. So like Ollie, the singer of Johnny Truant, is yep. uh, a label boss for for Unified over here. Mm-hmm. And uh, Ryan, who played drums in Funeral for a Friend, is a manager of a bunch of cool bands. And right. So we're all kind of, we've come up together and now we're kind of in, in the behind the scenes together. Right. Well, I mean, a lot, a lot of those people too, where it's like, you know, they were, I mean, obviously Ollie was kind of the business person of Johnny Truant. Yep. And I was the business person of my band. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So like, were you, were you, did you kind of immediately take to that business aspect of the yeah, band? I, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I was, you know, whether it's being bossy or whatever, sure. um, <laughs> I just kind of, I think of it as proactive. Sure. Yeah. Right. Like, so, someone's got to do yeah. it. Someone's got to do it. And I just kind of naturally took that role. Okay. And was like, we should do this. We should do this. We should record these songs. We sure. should have this rehearsal, you know. Um, and I was always kind of pushing it forward. Let's shoot a music video. Let's, you know, let's get these f- four songs and go to a studio and record them. And, right. and let's play some shows. And I was the one like networking <laughs> via MSN Messenger. Oh, nice, yes. Uh, back in those days. Back in those days, uh, yeah. Even before MySpace. We sure. Didn't, we didn't even have a MySpace page. My band had a MySpace page, like, right at the end of right. our time. That was, it was just coming up. It was just coming, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, you had to use, like, whether it was... So we were using, like, MSN. So we had, yeah. a, we had a, a website with a bulletin board, like a, one of those... Oh, sure, B2B like... B2B Yeah, GeoCities yeah. or Angel Fire that all we had that. here in the States. Yeah, yeah exactly. We had all that. And, um, and then we had an MSN yeah. and we all put all like our email addresses in our MSN addresses inside like our, our demos and our sure. singles. And then we would all like add each other on MSN. Right. And you'd be and able to correspond like, with, and, yeah, yeah, and we, yeah. Would, we would correspond with other bands and then we started to gig trade and that's how that was kind of, right. Yeah. So I was talking to people like Ollie, who was in charge of Truant. Sure. Well, I, me and Ollie actually went to sick form together, so we 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 know ah. each other. Like, really what did well. you what did you study in school? Um, so in school, there's mandatory subjects. So right. in, in the English school system, you have to do um, you have to do a language, you have to do okay uh, science, you have to do maths, you have to do English. I think they. I mean, basically, kind of your prerequisites. That's yeah. what they call them in the states. You ha- yeah. yeah, you have to do those, and then you get like you can specialize um, in. 
five chosen areas. Oh, okay. So I did design art. I did design technology, <laughs> design communication, <laughs> art. Um, it's like everything that could be like right yeah. next to each other. Yeah. Like English, so closely related. Yeah, English literature. And okay. like I, it was all like those kind of. Yeah. Sure, the creative arts. Yeah, and then the creative arts. Yeah, yeah. and then I went and, and then I did A levels at sixth form, and I did. Uh, I, I I've did. never heard that term, sixth form. Yeah, so it's when do you guys graduate high school? Eighteen. Yeah, yeah. And so we graduate we go, high school at sixteen. Oh. And then we go on to what we call college, which is two more years of higher education. So okay. It's called sixth form. Okay, and is so, it, and that's before university. It's before university. So what you call college, we call university. So you essentially go to like, if you're breaking it down to simplest of terms, you kind of go to like six years of college where, I mean, you college, university or whatever. Whereas like we technically go to four after. So we do, we do five years of secondary education. Okay. Then we do two years of, uh, sixth form education and then three years of university. Wow. GCSEs is the grade you do at at 16. Okay. Then you do A levels until you're 18 okay. and then you do a degree your <clears throat> bachelor's your bachelor's wow yeah. okay i did not know yeah. that wow yeah that, right so ollie and i were at college together okay so when we were like 18 sure yeah okay got it all right i actually got ollie into metal spectacular yeah. what was he into before uh indie in sure yeah. okay that makes brit, sense he was a big brit rock kid of so course he, he was big on oasis he went to nebworth and all that kind of stuff. i was gonna say because it, it seems like there's two really distinct paths as a uk independent music kid. absolutely it's it's metal or it's indie <laughs> right like the, the, you either get a one into one or two things and that's kind of it yeah that's kind of it we're like there's i mean in america obviously there was especially geographically america had all these yeah pockets like, totally but for us it's it was literally like it was though it was genre based more right. than um region based right 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 um and so you're just kind of assimilating the music, the domestic scene and the international scenes and whatever, and you're just kind of like, oh, right. I like this. You either get yeah, your Jinkos or your Fred Perry shirt. Right, right, right. Exactly. And, and, yeah. and never, the, never the two shall meet. Yeah, I had my DMs and everyone had their Adidas campus or whatever. <laughs> yeah, that's right, of yeah. course. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and, and that was kind of the scene. And like Ollie was big into like Blur, Oasis, Supergrass, Sway. Sure, right, and right. All, and I hated all that stuff. Yeah. Um, and I then later in life got like yeah, a nostalgic you appreciation for Oasis. Now I actually really like that Oasis stuff. Of course. Because it reminds me of, of that time college. and place. It reminds me of the time and place. <laughs> and it now sounds way edgier to me yeah. than it did at that point in time. Yeah, it was soft back then. Yeah, right? back then because I was into <laughs> Sepultura and Deicide or whatever, I was like, fuck this. Yeah, you're like, this is, this is terrible. He's but yeah, so he was really into that, but he was also into skateboarding. Okay. And I was like, oh, you'd like the Deftones because yeah. Chino looks like a, he Skater. skateboards. Absolutely. Right? And so I kind of got him in, I brought him into Deftones right. uh, through the kind of aesthetic of it. Got it. And then but he got hooked on that and then liked the Deftones and then Deftones toured with Wilhaven and we went to that and yeah, he started got Wilhaven and he just yeah, got yeah, 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 yeah. And then Ollie later in life... Uh, a few years later, returned the favor. He spent a summer out in Boston. Okay. As bands like Botch, Dillinger, oh. Converge were breaking through. Yep. Pre-internet. Sure. So like here. we did not know who any of these bands were. Here's your lifeline. So he yeah. came back from this summer in Boston and was like, I present to you, Botch, Cave In, Converge. <laughs> yeah. The starter, the starter pack. Right. Yeah. The, yeah, yeah. And I was like, holy fucking shit. I'd like never heard anything like that. Yeah. Like, but I had my head blown off all over again. Like sure. Hearing band, or hearing that scene of bands, that kind of art, totally art, arty hard. Yeah, band, yeah. 
the, the Boston stuff. Absolutely. And then you have the mass metalcore, you know, all that stuff. Totally, yeah, yeah. Like, it's incredible. You're like, wow, I can't believe this is... <laughs> It's like this whole other world. That's amazing. So yeah, he could re- he returns. Yeah, the favor. Every, everybody yeah. does return the favor at yeah. some point. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it was awesome. The um, and so it, I mean, because you were interested in the, the the sort of you know machinations of you know putting together a band, booking shows, and all that sort of stuff. Was that always kind of like your vision? You were like, I got to work in music no matter what, or was that? Just I wanted kinda... to, I wanted to be a journalist. Okay. That was my thing. So I was doing, I, I, uh, I know you said you were doing zines. Yeah, so. I was doing zines and, um, English was my forte. My dad was an English professor. And, uh, and so I've always been, uh, had a, a better mastery of the written word than mm-hmm. spoken. Sure. I've, uh, to the point where often when I would like write essays or articles or whatever, I would, uh, have a vocabulary that I, I wasn't sure where it was even coming from. Right. And I would have to like check myself. Like, do, is that the right word? Yeah. Like, why do I know these words? <laughs> totally. I don't know. I just kind of picked it up. I was, a, I, I read a lot as a kid and, yep. and, and I just kind of had this, the, the written word was how I best expressed myself. Sure. Um, uh, because I picked up all sorts of slang and stuff at school, college, whatever. So, I'd picked up a kind of Southern English tongue. Okay. And you drop letters and... Sure. You say letters. Letters, yeah, yeah. Letters, whatever. And, uh, and uh, yeah, and, and so writing was my thing and uh, I was writing zines and I had this kind of... Uh, my career arc in my mind was that I was going to write for a magazine. Sure. And I had this romantic idea of a sort of bustling... Music journalist. Yeah, uh, yeah. Sort of almost famous sure right? that right. was what was in my head get I set on seen, the road right yeah now. i hadn't seen almost famous yet but <laughs> that was uh, the vision that was the vision i, I thought i was going to be that kid sure like, oh yeah you're going to be like this it's going to be like this exciting music journalist thing and you're going to call and be like yeah man i'm on tour with whatever band like sure. i'm writing this article you know yeah, yeah, yeah that yeah. was kind of what i thought my life was going to be and then sure i was going to sort of write for rolling stone or whatever right you know? yeah yeah, yeah. you have these targets and right. it seemed this like grandiose thing i would write for Kerrang or whatever exactly and then you know you get there and you start writing for these magazines as a freelancer and you realize that they pay you in right. sort of a lot of the time you you earn monkey nuts and whatever and it's not actually a sustainable <laughs> career a lot of the time unless you can really get up there in the editorial positions sure um and so i had to kind of um not that I would do, was just doing it for the money, but the realities of life set in. Of know. course, yeah, you got to adjust it. Or it's just yeah. like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. So I can't actually afford to live an adult life away from my parental home, yep. whilst just being a freelance journalist as much as I love it. Right. So I need to find an additional job. Sure. And so uh, this was like 2005 or so. Mm-hmm. Um, I decided that I did an, an internship scheme. At Warner's, okay. uh, Warner's in London, used to do this thing called the Warner Graduate Scheme, okay. um, where people who were interested in working in music mm-hmm. would apply, and there were like rounds. Oh, okay. And then eventually, there was like a sort of, you know, pot of gold at the end of like right. you might get a job at Warner. <laughs> right, totally. And so I kind of went through this system and um, ended up doing essentially an extended internship, right, in the publicity department at, um, at Warner. And uh, that's when I was like, okay, so in in publicity, you can kind of do creative writing, Mm -hmm. which is what I'm good at. Right. But there's a a sort of more competitive 
pay scale where you can actually maybe turn it into a career. Exactly. So I thought I'll start. I'll, I'll do that. I'll be a publicist, and on the side, I'll still be a freelance writer, which is kind of yeah. Like, you'll be able to do both. Yeah, I'll be yeah. able to do both. Like there's no conflict there, right? right, right. As long as None. you're not publicizing the bands you're writing about, right? It's fine. You'll be fine. So that was my my choice to do that, and um, and through being at this internship, I got access to a few sort of job internal industry job postings sure. that you wouldn't normally see if you weren't there. Right. So I wrote from an at Atlantic Records or at Warner Music or something email address right. and applied for this job that was uh, for a rock specialist publicist at okay. a London publicity company. And because he saw that my right, email, your email address, address right. Oh, I got to listen to this guy. Oh, yeah. Oh, this guy, like, he wants to leave his major label PR job and come to my company. Great. Yeah. And somehow I blagged my way through it, got an interview. And he gave me the job. I had literally no idea what I was doing at all. Sure. Zero. Day one, went in, and he was like, right, there's your computer. Like, here's your client list. Go. And right. I was like, sure. Sure. Let's then, figure this out. And then I, I waited until he went to, to lunch. Yeah. And then the other guy in the office, I was just like, dude, what is this job? Like, what do you do? <laughs> right. And, uh, and he was like, oh, just find bands, try and get them press, right? And I was like, okay, so I say, okay, I sort of get that. Right. I've, as a journalist, have received press releases and I get it. <laughs> right. right. So I can just kind of figure it out. Okay, so it's just the flip side of it. So instead of receiving the press release, I'm sending the press release. You're sending it, sure. Right. And so that's where I started with it. And then they were like, I got assigned MXPX. Okay. So we had a, an account with Sidewan Dummy and... I got signed an MXPX, I think it was an MXPX live album okay. tour that they were doing mm-hmm. in the mid-2000s. And so I worked that, and then they were like, you should really start bringing in clients. Because it was, on my business card, it said senior publicist. <laughs> yeah, you're like, there's, no, my life. there's nothing senior about I'd me. i literally been in my band, <laughs> written for Terrorizer, <laughs> Roxanne, Metal Hammer, and yeah. then was like a senior publicist. Right. No clue. Uh, but they were like, oh, you know, you can bring in some bands from like your local area or whatever. So I was right. like, okay. So um, I went to see Johnny Truant mm-hmm. and their support band was Architects. Sure. Uh, who were called Counting the Days at the time. And uh, I was completely like floored mm-hmm. by them. Um, and then they changed their name to Architects and was suddenly like even better. Mm-hmm. Um, and... I just said, I, I met one of the guys, I met the, Tim, their former guitarist. Yeah. Um, and these were all the kids that had come to my band's shows. Sure. They so were the they younger were the, generation, yeah, right? they were the next generation who we, me and Ollie knew them from Johnny Truant, Hiding with Girls shows, whatever. They were the kids in the crowd who were a bit more precocious than the other kids. Sure. They would sense. come up to us and be like, hey, how's it going? What's up, man? Yeah. 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 So they were like the, the, the kids that we knew and, and I just said, to, I bumped into Tim about two weeks after I'd started at this company. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you're architects, right? You're putting out a release? And he was like, yeah, we're just gearing up for our first release. And I was like, I'll do your publicity for free. Sure. And, uh, and the label that was putting it out, a little UK label called In at the Deep End, mm-hmm. they had like a go-to publicist. But because I said I would do it for free. Oh, yeah. Who's going to say no to that? They, they were like, sure. So I got given the campaign for Nightmares. Mm-hmm. This is pre-Sam. So it's the old vocalist. Sure. Matt. 
and I did the PR, the press uh, the press campaign for the Architects Nightmares, uh, and then because they were from Brighton, right. hu- hung out a bunch. Sure, and our we just kind of bonded and meshed right and start building it up from that building up the relationship and then Matt left after a year Sam joined and then at that point I was doing so much stuff they were just calling me they were 17 sure 17 18 mm-hmm. they were calling me and being like so well, the press campaign was going really well we were getting like full page features in Kerrang like specialist press stuff like features on Dan unsurprisingly mm-hmm. features on Tom in guitar magazines like it yeah, was, people were desiring to cover them. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because it was like, the, here's, here's a bunch of 17-year-olds who sure. sound like the Dillinger Escape Plan. Yeah, yeah, we're all like, in. We're yeah, all the in. story writes itself. Yeah, and so um, <laughs> they were wondering what to do with it. Like, can we get free guitars with this stuff? So I was like, <laughs> I'll try. So I called ESP and right. made these kind of connections. And didn't, you were, you were, Yeah, you were managing the band without even knowing it. I didn't even think that that's what I was doing. I totally. wasn't even trying to do it. I didn't even know what a manager does really sure i had no I, at this point in time i still thought i'm just doing pr until i can finally get a job as a an right. editor totally that was still my long-term goal sure sure to still be a journalist in a world where everyone is confined to their homes society begins its largest bin watch to date in the hallowed library of hulu or perhaps on a shelf of dvds you haven't looked at in a decade is a show that perfectly encapsulates life in the early aughts and launched a friendship that would inspire millions. Hi, I'm Zach Braff. And I'm Donald Faison. In 2001, we starred in Scrubs, a sitcom that revealed a glimpse of what it was like to survive a medical internship. As Turk and JD, we explored guy love. Nearly 20 years later, a lot has changed. We're not supermen, but we're still best friends. Eh. Given the mandatory lockdown, there's no better time to relive the series that brought us together in the first place. And we're doing it with a podcast. That's right, people. We're going to bring friends and crew members and fellow cast members and writers. And, and guess what? We're going to even invite some of you to call into the podcast and ask all the questions you want of the entire Sacred Heart staff. Join us for Fake Doctors Real Friends on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. And then before I knew it, I was, you know, somehow had ended up, Architects kind of officially appointed me as manager <laughs> right. in 2007. They were like, well, I guess you're a manager. I was like, I guess. Yeah, yeah, you know, sure. It was all just, okay, whatever. Yeah. Like really casual, of uh, course. non-formal Handshake deal, yeah, yeah. And then obviously Century Media got involved and then suddenly I was like, I guess I'm really doing this. Right. I guess um, I'm, I'm in this. Yeah. And then, um, metal hammer who I was writing for flagged that it was a conflict of interest for me to be working like a profile band, mm-hmm. um, who were touring with bands like misery signals and every time I die and right. bands that t- like metal hammer would cover would cover. Sure. And that, you know, I couldn't really do the journalistic a, integrity yeah. was in question. Right. Yeah. And I had to basically pick a lane. Right. And, um, and I was like, well, this architects thing seems like it's going well. And they're my friends and yeah. let's do that. Let's stick with them. Right. So I stuck with architects and, and that's where my career started. That, yeah. That's where the management yeah, stuff. That's where it started. In the, uh, you know, I mean, you, you obviously worked with them in a variety of different bands yeah. as you were, you were coming up. The thing I wanted to, you know, hit on was the fact that it's like you, uh, 
you know, management is such a tough game, yeah. <clears throat> especially when you're working it with, you know, friends and people you trust. Mm-hmm. And like, obviously at one point, you know, architects, you know, you, you yeah, guys stopped working. Yeah. T- exactly. Yeah. You stopped working together. Um, the, you know, the, the idea that, um, you know, you have to kind of like pick yourself up and kind of hustle your way out of these setbacks, mm-hmm. Um, in ways that, you know, you can't, you don't really do it publicly, you know, no. you kind of just are like, all right, well, I'm going to move on, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm sure it was a huge struggle for you. Oh yeah. Lo- I mean, losing architects, uh, was, that was, uh, it was like the worst thing that had happened to me at that point sure. in time, but also like the best, it, it's one of those things where in hindsight, I look back on it. Mm-hmm. At the time, I felt very raw about it. Of course. I felt like I'd been screwed. Totally. I felt like my friends had screwed me. Yep. And uh, I, I was bitter about it. Uh, I was upset, obviously, and mm-hmm. just sad to not be involved as well. Like, of I course. liked working with them. They, you were so deeply involved yeah, with it. Yeah. I was with them for four and a half years. Yeah. And, we, and because we lived in the same town as well, you know, <laughs> right. hung out. Yeah. It, it was like, a, it was really like I would put, that one is up there with like a romantic breakup. Of course. Like it's that, it was that kind of like, I lost, I felt like I, I lost a part of my uh, sort of identity. S- identity. In a way. Yeah. 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 And my social structure. It, right. It was like, Oh, well, architect's going to be there. Oh, you know, can't hang out with my friends anymore. We had like, sure. You know, and that wasn't the case. I wasn't cast out of any friendship group, but that's how it, no, how that's it, how it felt f- to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and so I, uh, I had to really step back at that point and go like, do I want to do this? Right. Right. The, cri- the crisis of like the, that fork in the road moment. Yeah. Like, am I going to carry on doing this for other bands? Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously I decided yes, but it was a, it was soul searching. And right. uh, now I look back on it and I 100% understand why they moved on. I totally get it. Sure. I understand I actually understand that it must have been really a hard decision to make. Sure. That it was must have been a bummer for them to have to do it. To arrive to that conclusion. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. And, uh, and I get that I couldn't have actually taken them. At that point in my career, without losing architects, I couldn't become a better manager. And so losing architects was actually the best thing that happened for me. Sure. Because it made me reassess. It's like, what are the things that I did wrong? What were my shortcomings? Mm-hmm. And before that, I was just like on this ride with them. You know, the band was going up and up and up and up and we were just figuring it out. They were figuring it out. I was figuring it out. And we were just like, what's going on? I don't know. It's yeah. cool. <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, it's happening. Yeah. Whatever, you know. Um, <clears throat> and then it, that made me, for the first time, really critically assess, like, do I want to do this job? Right. Do I actually enjoy it? And if I, uh, I'm going to work with other bands, <clears throat> um, what things do I do differently right right and so it was that separation from architects that made me start to see it as a um see the the professional boundaries of it right yeah yeah totally and but it's always like you're always learning it like and each client is different you know for a while I tried to be like okay I'm never getting that deep in the fabric of the friendship again mm-hmm. i'm not doing that again sure to finish your thought of of the, the you were you were trying to have the you know the professional boundaries yeah kind of I, I tried to like really install these hard professional boundaries and i was like i'm gonna protect myself emotionally and almost treat it like a nine to five yeah um and and not get so exposed that i can i can have my feelings hurt or whatever, <laughs> yeah. right yeah 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 um and that you know what it just didn't work 
and um, I'm an all-in kind of person, I guess. Right. And I just had You're to... You're like, I'm going to weave myself into no matter what. Yeah. Right. And yeah. so I just had to figure out what the best balance is of like personable enough and involved enough so that it's fun for everybody and that the best aspects of what I think my strengths are as a manager are all related to creative thinking Mm -hmm. Um, and so I have to really get involved with the band to get to that level of creative thinking creative trust where I can actually like suggest things for a mix or songwriting or artwork or Mm -hmm. conceptual or album titles or whatever like yeah those kinds of like things that are close to the artist but traditionally like you wouldn't think a manager is maybe getting involved in that stuff i do get really involved in that stuff right you're deep into it right i'm deep into it and just had to find a balance of not crossing the line where you lose the authority i guess yeah yeah um but you're still personable Sure. And so that t- it's taken me a few years to figure out that balance. Right. But I think ultimately it comes down to not just don't be on tour. Sure. That tends to be, I, th- I think my most effective thing if I don't tour with the band. Right. Uh, and I just go to like a few shows. Yeah. 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 That keeps the balance good for healthy both, for healthy and for both parties right we should we're, we're always in positive environments together. Right. right. <laughs> we're not like, you know, I toured with architects, you know, and we saw each other on, good days bad days right know, everything in between everything in between and and i think i just kind of i think where where a lot of that went wrong aside from like you know my own network limitations because i was a first time manager mm-hmm. um i didn't have the literally didn't have the ability right at that point to take them to the next level sure yeah yeah um, i just didn't have it right you yeah know? You're like, um, my resources are tapped yeah, yeah, my, yeah i was tapped out sure and they were absolutely right to to move on from me. I yeah, think, yeah. You know, You're like I, I don't blame them. Right? Oh, one hundred percent not. <laughs> like, uh, you know, and that's not even like being retrospectively ph- philosophical. Like, I was okay with it after a year or so. Right. Like, yeah. I, I came, you were able to. Came, yeah, I really yeah. came to terms with it. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. That's and now I'm I'm like I'm still remain like their biggest fan. I think they're one of the best bands. Oh, absolutely. Around, like, not just in the UK. Mm. I really think they're they're one of the best metal bands around and and to just have been a part of their fabric i feel very privileged of course yeah there's a sense of pride about that. right they have Mm -hmm. a real sense of pride about it and and uh and they made me as much as anything else Uh, sure my mum likes to be like oh you really set them on their way and i'm like yeah i don't know yeah they set me on my way though totally yeah for sure you both helped each other out. i definitely wouldn't be doing the job in the way that I do it and, and have the strengths that I feel I have if I hadn't have worked with them. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's specifically them. Totally. You know, totally. You know they are, so. Yeah, exactly. Um, the last two things I want to hit on were, so, you know, now because you've been working with, um, you know, neck deep for, you know, a couple of years, it's been three, four years now. Longer, longer, six. six. Okay. For some reason it seems like shorter time to me, but the, <laughs> so, but you know, because you, I mean, you, you were working with them at their, you know, not the, show. right at their, their, their infancy yep. and then watching something grow quickly like this, you know, how, uh, I mean, you know, similar, I'm uh, not, not exact same trajectory as obviously architects, but like, you know, you were, you were on a, you were on a rise with them similar. as well. How, but you know, now that you're coming at it with a, you know, uh, more perspective mm-hmm. on, how to handle a band like that and your you know your contacts are larger and et cetera et cetera mm-hmm. but how do you make sure that that like 
the band and yourself kind of doesn't get burnt out because that's a real well i mean burnout for 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 them is it it does happen okay um they tour a lot they do um they tour hard uh all the time uh i think they've been on the road for six years you know pretty much yeah um little bits of time off here and there but ostensibly they have been touring non-stop and i don't think people fully realize how much they have been touring <laughs> yeah and uh and i mean it's you know a lot of their contemporaries are in the same boat mm-hmm. what it is to be in a band in 2018 is to do it like this right you know the the economy of our business is not what it was yep and uh therefore you have to be grinding and grinding and grinding. Even a successful band right. is touring like a DIY hardcore band. It's uh, true. Yeah, there's know, no stopping, right. Maybe you're, you know, obviously there's certain luxuries that come along like nightliners or whatever, but um, you, you, hotels instead of floors, but the schedule, you know. Remains the same. Remains the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's not getting just about now, I think, Neck Deep is maybe hopefully i think reaching a point where they can sit back a little bit and enjoy their lives sure a little bit because i yeah. think they have they've been working on their band and building their um their fan base and building their reputation and whatever um more than they've been doing anything else mm-hmm. for the last six years right and so you do have to be sensitive to it and to you know it becomes quite easy to for the you know the team that we have now when Nick Deep started it was me and them right and now it's like 20 people mm-hmm. or whatever that work for the band right and I'm still the closest me and their tour manager are like the closest connection sure um, we're still the same two people from the early days right uh, and that's like the core and then there's these layers of teams and whatever and mm-hmm. it's very easy for people to just kind of start seeing it as like an entity Mm-hmm. neck deep will do this 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 sure and it's it's a matter of priority for me personally to always remember that they are human beings yeah and, um, <laughs> and that's yeah, tough and, that's tough a lot of people yeah. don't yeah like you said they, and, they view it as an entity it's this yeah and i'm often the person fighting the corner of the human beings right. being like hey we should consider this yeah let's consider the realistic aspect of of what we're asking here mm-hmm you know? Let's try and remember that these are people, mm-hmm. that they've been doing this for <laughs> this block of time. Right. And it's uh, unrealistic mm-hmm. that they're going to be able to then do this and then this. And I try and keep all that stuff in mind. It's, it is hard, you know, in 2018 with the industry being what it is to um, to balance co- good commerce mm-hmm. with... Being they reasonable. need to actually, yeah, to be yeah. reasonable, and for, they need to be able to enjoy their lives. Right. They're not in a band to just be on a treadmill. Right? Be on a treadmill forever. Yeah. They need to like enjoy the fruits of their labor. They're a successful, a successful band to mm-hmm. a certain point. Absolutely. And they should be able to like go home and appreciate that, and mm-hmm. be with their families and friends, and go, oh, oh, this is life. This is life. It's yeah. nice. <laughs> You know, yeah, yeah. Rather than just like here I am in a venue again. Here's here's the fifth time in Chicago in two right, years. Yeah. Right. And people have a funny, <laughs> a skewed perception. I, I think now more than any other time, there's a, a a seriously skewed perception of of how glamorous it is to be in a band. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe an equivalent of Neck Deep twenty years ago at this point in their career is probably Blink on Enema of the State. 
and it probably is a much more luxurious, glamorous, mm-hmm. uh, Hollywood, yeah, rock and roll lifestyle. Mm-hmm. That now is not glamorous. Right. It's touring all of the time, still mm-hmm. all of the time. Totally, you've got a top five album twice in a, a row. <clears> they've <throat> had top tens mm-hmm. in two countries: America and the US, uh, America and the UK. Right. Top ten album in twenty fifteen. Top five album in twenty seventeen. Right. And they're still having to like they, this year alone. They did four months back to back. Right. You know that's what you have to do. Yeah. And. Uh, <laughs> But no, I mean, but I I, do to your point, I really like the idea of just the, the notion that it's like you, you can grind a band to a nub. You can. And I've, everyone's, I've seen it happen a lot. Right. Especially, especially from, from our community, you Mm -hmm. know, it's a UK band blowing up is still rare. Right. It's not, you know. It's like it strike while the iron's hot. We got to get this, yeah, get ha- in, and get out. It still ha- it happens more now than ever. You right. know, bring me the horizon. All credit to them. Like kick the doors wide open for our for our scene, and yep. um, no end of good things have come to to us as a result of of bring me the horizons kind of trailblazing. Absolutely, or whatever. you know, we get taken as a country producing young bands get taken more seriously now. Absolutely, um, because of them. Yep, uh, and maybe Gallows. Sure, you know, I think uh, on a maybe a lesser degree, but yeah, yeah, but still, know, right. certainly those two bands, I think, pioneered some stuff for us, and um, yeah, I've but you've I've seen many bands just try and jump on it mm-hmm. and just grind out, burn out, totally, you know, yeah, and uh, you get a, you get a good year or two in, and then it's just yeah, then it's like. People are yeah, bosh, what happened to them? Yeah. You know? Totally. Um, some bands, uh, you know, you're like, do, are they still a band? Right. You know? Yeah, and they're like, oh, yeah, we've been on tour for seven months. You're like, yeah. oh, I just, well, oh, okay, sorry. Right. We'll yeah. <laughs> <laughs> totally. But, yeah, it's a, you, you, you do have to remember that... Um, the human aspect yeah, of it. I think the human that, aspect, and, and, and I always do try... And I try to not ever dehumanize the artist. Yeah, yeah. No, remember it's re- that they're people. It's extremely important. Um, and the, the the last thing, this, I mean, I guess you could call this a more philosophical thing, but the, um, so you know, I mean, you you are like me in your late thirties, mm-hmm. and you know, the idea that you are staying in touch with a youth culture, yeah, is one of those things. Hey, where kids, <laughs> and it's like. That, you know, that notion of knowing what like a 16 year old kid is like into is, you know, like that's difficult to grasp, obviously, as you get older. But then, um, you know, so like, I guess, how do you kind of wrap your head around that as you continue to, you know, pick up new bands and work in management and do all this stuff? Like, how does that kind of grapple? So I use my bands actually as uh, sort of translators for me a lot of the time. Like I mean, I, I love pop culture. Of I'm course, a, right. The, a, that that will that I'm like you caring about fan that. of pop culture. I am. Right. I love it. Right. You know, I love um, TV shows and movies and uh, comic books and bands and stuff. And I avidly, as a, a fan, keep abreast. Of, yeah, keep a, stuff of. Yeah, 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 right. You know, I I get super into Westworld and. Right, Handmaid's Tale and whatever like that's my current obsessions mm-hmm. and um, I love discovering new bands I love new music and as much as I love old 
you know, the old classics. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I'm still... So just being kind of in touch with and, and, and sort of obsessed with pop culture... Right. ...keeps you fluid in some stuff, but it's really the internet discourse that becomes very alien very quickly. <laughs> yeah. You start feeling like you're literally a Tyrannosaurus Rex. <laughs> yes. Um, you open up Twitter one day and you're like, what hmm. did I miss? Yeah, well, what's that? There's a whole language today <laughs> that w- didn't exist yesterday. Right. And what, you know, and my bands tend to be um, in that world still. Mm-hmm. And so when I notice a trend... I have a few go-to members <laughs> right? Like, where I'm like, can you translate this? What does this mean? Yeah. Like <laughs> Patty from As It Is sure. comes from an, an internet background. So he's pretty good with that stuff. Right. And so, um, and he, he, I'll be like, hey, Patty, what does spill the tea mean? Right. <laughs> yeah. But you- like often, even for them, um, they'll have to ask their fans at like, signing sessions and stuff at like hangouts with fans they'll be like what does that mean totally (laughs) and it's so it is it is it's a it's a whole it's it's it's, crazy it's so crazy it's so fast moving um you know i'll just get to grips with like what a meme is right and then it'll be like memes yeah god granddad i'm like (laughs) great granddad to you yeah yeah (laughs) It is. And what, what, what continually amazes me too, is that like you can find, you know, when I say corners of the internet, Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. You can go down rabbit holes. But but then you're just like, Oh wow. Like this, this artist has 175 million views in a video. And like, I've never heard of it, nor is like, has that broken to mainstream culture at all? And you're just like, Oh, I guess that. Oh yeah. yeah. The first time I heard of 21 pilots, they were apparently the biggest band (laughs) in the entire world. (laughs) Totally. I was like, Oh, Oh wow. Uh, yeah, I a, just heard of them, and right. they're literally like <laughs> yeah. an arena headliner. When did that happen? Yeah, uh, yeah, but, and and there's that whole sort of SoundCloud yeah. rapper scene and stuff. Uh, and I mean YouTube, the the YouTuber phenomenon that yeah. was a whole thing. Totally, like it was literally that was one of my first. You know that the YouTuber thing was one of my first realizations that I was an aged out. I was starting to age out of certain youth culture movements. Like <laughs> that things were happening that I was no longer like on the crest of. Right. Actively participating right. in. Right. Up <laughs> until then I felt like I was, you know, yes, yeah, so, sure. Some stuff that happens, you're like, Oh, what's that? Oh, okay. That's that. Right. But I was relatively in tune with stuff, but, um, it was when I took on as it is. Yeah. Um, so that was like a year after Nick deep. Mm hmm. And they were the, the second band I brought into uh, K-Management, where, where I've mm-hmm. been for the last four odd years, whatever. Right. Um, they were the second band I brought in. And when I had my meeting with them, um, it was with their guitarist, Ben. And he said, we just need to like check that you want to work with us because you like the band and not because Patty's a YouTuber. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what's a, a YouTuber? YouTuber? Right. <laughs> yeah. And that was like this sort of moment of like, I don't know what that is. Mm-hmm. I like, I genuinely do not know what that is. Right. And that I learned through them about this whole culture and all sure. that sort of stuff. And I still don't understand what it is. And, the, and but I mean, but, that's but a, I, I was like, Oh, okay. That's a thing. Right. Right. But that, but that won you their affection. Right. Because they're like, Oh yeah, this guy yeah. actually likes us. Right. Right. Exactly. And then since <laughs> then, I feel like since that kind of opening the floodgates of like, what's a YouTuber, right? There's been so many instances of that. Like what's a SoundCloud rapper? What's this? What's this? Totally. 
it's happening. Culture is like accelerated. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm always lamenting like an, an old granddad about the loss of the monoculture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? I I miss the water cooler. <laughs> totally. The, you know, uh, you miss the communal experience of like right, the oh, that, that right. TV thing happened last night and everyone's talking about. Remember it. Remember when everyone watched Twenty Four and lost? And yeah, we yeah. all just kind of accepted that those shows were not really that great, but, but they were the best things on TV. So absolutely. we'll just get into them and talk about them all the time. <laughs> right. And now you have a show. You know, you have these series. You have so many series and so many movies, like all of the time. So many albums. Yeah. I don't know. So, can someone keep a database of it? That'd be great. You right. right. <laughs> yeah. Which, can, can we can we agree on this thing that we that, that I mean that's why it's like you know why people obviously flock to sports now because right. it's like that is really the it's only still a monoculture exactly. It's the, it's the only one you cannot avoid yeah. that. You're going to care yeah. about this thing. Yeah, and and, and that's that, that. It's still yeah. It's absolutely still within sports, but uh, with it. Uh, everything else like I'll be like oh my god Westworld's the best thing ever and then I mm -hmm. can't find anyone that watches it right right you know? yeah um, like oh I've heard of it I know it's on HBO yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. right and and people yeah, I, I often find a lot of really frustrating conversations actually where I'm like do you watch this and they go no do you watch this and they go no do you watch this and you're yeah, like five minutes later five oh. minutes later well I guess we don't watch any of the same things or like any of the same bands <laughs> right you know <laughs> and I miss that kind of thing of like Oh my oh, god! Did you, you see into... last night's whatever? You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so, yeah, that's that's definitely something that makes me feel old. The death of the monoculture. I've yeah, kind of had yeah. to really accept that that is gone, right? And yeah. that culture moves at like a, a, the speed of light now, right? You know. And, and uh, I mean, on the flip side of that, though, is that there really is no like late to the party. Right. There's no, no there's no such people. Thing. People can dive into you know like get obsessed with bands from. 20 to 30 years ago mm -hmm. and like obviously have no way of actually connecting with connecting with that band live or whatever or connecting with that tv show mm -hmm. people can you know just become so well versed at that and be like yeah i'm gonna do a, a podcast where i summarize every episode of the golden girls right okay yeah sure I, I, and uh, and and now like uh, you know yours and i's t-shirt collections yeah are like worth a lot of money yeah <laughs> And totally. I threw all mine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're in like, like well, a thrift store years ago. I was absolutely. Like, oh well, these don't fit me anymore. Yeah. Or like a pile of gr blue grape shirts, like as high as this room. Yeah. Through them all, like and yeah, now we don't I'm need like, those anymore. Oh, they're worth like oh. two hundred dollars plus a piece. Oh yeah, yeah. And I look at these. I look at these like crazy Instagram accounts, yeah. And I'm like, I had all of these shirts. <laughs> Like, yeah, you're like, oh wow! I get like I, I didn't think anybody was going to care about this, it, it, like absolutely irrelevant band. And you know what I love is that the cool guy now looks like me at 15. <laughs> it warms the cockles of my heart, man. Yeah, yeah, you're the, like the J, yeah. the J, and Silent Bob, the J. Exactly, look, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. That's how I looked at 15. Yeah, you're like, dude, I was just ahead, of, way ahead of the curve. Yeah. I was like at least 20 years ahead of the curve, yeah, at least, <laughs> if not more. Who knows? In 40 years, I could look even cooler. <laughs> <laughs> well, dude, this has been awesome. Thank yeah, you so man. much for hanging out. There we go with Leander. Thank you very much, my friend. I appreciate you coming on the podcast. And it was a uh, fun chat because I, uh, there, and you, you'll recognize this, you know, as you get older, where you meet people in different stages of their life, different ages. It's uh, sometimes it, it feels a little insurmountable to be like, oh, wow. So, you know, here I am, I'm like 38 years old. And if I meet a person 
who's also like, you know, I haven't known them at all until I meet them this year. And they're like 27 years old. I'm like, man, I got to like download 20 some odd years of information about them and, you know, kind of, and it's just through their, uh, lens as opposed to people you've, you know, played in bands with since you were 15 years old and whatever. So it's, it's an interesting relationship. And anyways, I bring that up because, you know, Leander I've known for a while, but it was nice to be able to get into some of his, uh, origin story stuff. So that's that. And, uh, next week is a big one, big one for me. Aaron Harris, the drummer of ISIS, which I now I have to put in parentheses, ISIS, the band, not the terrorist organization, which is absolutely sad that I have to do that. But, um, you know, that's the world we live in now. But, uh, yeah, Aaron, uh, I got connected to him via like his old publicist that she was like, you need to speak to Aaron because I know that you really like the band and Aaron is a great guy. And it was, man, it was awesome. <laughs> I loved it because ISIS is frankly one of my favorite bands, uh, probably top 10 of all time. And I've seen them so many times. I can't even begin to mention how many times because it's, well, actually I do in the interview, but anyways, that's what's happening next week. And, uh, until then be safe, everybody and enjoy your, uh, hopefully your labor day off. Okay, bye. You've been listening to the Jabberjaw Podcast Network, jabberjawmedia.com. Shh. I'm Bob Roth, host of the new podcast, Stay Calm. Meditation changed my life in college, and I've spent the last 50 years teaching people about the benefits of meditation from celebrity clients to students in inner city schools. And now I'm sharing a lot of what I know straight to your ears in my new podcast. Join me every Monday through Friday morning. All you need is a few minutes and an open mind. Listen and subscribe to Stay Calm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.